0: This is episode 29 of GI Joeberg, the NetSony Podcast, broadcasting from Joburg and Cape Town, South Africa, about GI Joe. In today's episode, we're going to tackle some of the weirdest and most wacky concepts that have found its way into GI Joe, and we're going to try and demonstrate how those concepts either have a basis in reality, or in fact, are real life vehicles and equipment. As usual, it's been ages since we podcasted, and it's time to talk about new
1: toys.
0: (laughs) This being episode 29, it actually marks uh, the first episode after my 29th birthday, and naturally I gifted myself some G.I. Joe fun. It's been an exercise in restraint, because not having much faith in the postal system these days, I bought this stuff ages ago and left it in its box so that I had something to unwrap on the big day. I got myself, and I know, Joe fans, you can shudder as I mention these names because why do I not already own these amazing tent poles of G.I. Joe vintage toy collecting, but I got myself the Fang and the Awe Striker. Two very cool, very small, basic toys, but therein lies their charm. (laughs) They're not basic at all. They're extremely complex little toys, and they really show me beyond a shadow of a doubt that the complexity of the line back in the early 80s and mid 80s was setting a bar that cannot be surpassed. We might get more robust toys, we might get more detailed toys, better paint apps and whatnot, but the engineering panache in these sets made them little model kits. That seemed like the design paradigm back in the 80s. Make a toy that is akin to building your own kit with that level of complexity and detail you're putting together intricate tiny little parts you're not getting a box with like one solid hunk of plastic and like a few rocket launchers and guns to strap to it you're building this vehicle from the ground up and uh, (laughs) while I was not afforded the opportunity to build it from the ground up because of course these are second or third hand toys I truly do appreciate the sum of its parts The fact that it is made up of infinitesimal little intricate parts is is something that astounds me. And I, man, it just reminds me that uh, there's no school like the old school. (laughs) 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 Old school! Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I also got a few vintage three and three quarter inch figures filling holes in my collection. I picked up Torch, which rounds out my Dreadnoughts collection as far as I wanted my Dreadnoughts collection to go. I got Recoil, which is a cool and rather underappreciated action figure, with perhaps the only accessory of its kind, that being a case of Claymore Mines, and an accessory which I'm very grateful to have. The figure himself is pretty badass as well, he's got that cool, like, very Falcon-esque backpack with a radio antenna, obviously befitting his function as a long-range reconnaissance patrolman, and a very sneaky fella. Uh, At that. And I got Dodger. Now, Dodger, well, very aptly named member of the Battle Force 2000, he's the only one who managed to dodge (laughs) their (laughs) demise in the Emirate of Benzene. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, it's in the early hundred and teen run of G.I. Joe, Real American Hero. The exact issue number eludes me at the moment, but the entire Battle Force 2000 team gets wiped out, with exception to Dodger. He was the leader and perhaps the the character with uh, the most redeeming qualities. While he is a member of Battleforce 2000, his file card goes on to describe that he in fact is well versed in all the rudimentary technologies as well as the super high tech. So that when the super high tech malfunctions for whatever reason, just like our Skype line loves to do, He's ready to just drive by dead reckoning, you know, pop the hatch and fly by the seat of his pants. Uh, Analogy, analogy, analogy. (laughs) So, yeah, it was a very happy birthday, indeed.
2: (laughs) Good job, Stephen. He had a good birthday, I'm sure.
0: All
3: those awesome toys.
0: Well, you know, it's a modest swag, a modest haul, but they're amazing.
3: Uh, I also got some new kids on in the block, or on the block. With Stephen's help, I managed to get my hands on a Tiger Sting, a nice new vehicle to add to my growing Tiger Force collection. And I have to say, it's my first sort of foray into the old-school Vamp mold. I think it's based on the Vamp 2, if I'm not mistaken, Steve? Correct. Uh, which is what the Stinger was based on. My first impression about it was, wow, this is a really small little jeep. And I'm like, wow, this thing is so much fun. So I've been having lots of fun racing this thing up and down, and I love the little doors, and it's great. It's a great little vehicle. It's quite robust. There are certain little qualities that Stephen has mentioned in previous episodes about some of the sort of 82, 83 vehicles, which is what the Vamp was originally a part of, and that this is a repaint of, obviously that sort of shine in there. And one of the most notable features I sort of picked out from that is that something about those vehicles seem more accurately scaled to GI Joe as a figure line, where the latter lines tend to be a bit more chunky. Some of the vehicles tend to be, I don't know, just slightly bigger than they should be, you know, slightly bigger than a real car would be. And I find that the Vamp and by extension the Tiger Sting are kind of closer to a real world size of a vehicle. And that was something kind of cool to behold. I got my Sea Ray. Uh, some of you who have been or listening to past episodes will know that I proclaimed that I would myself a Sea Ray before the year is out, and, and a Shark, and luckily I've managed to get the Sea Ray, and I have to say, what a fantastic vehicle. I'm glad that it got some of my votes in our Shark vs. Sea Ray episode, and it's a really great toy, really chunky, great detail some weird choices in the design that I can overlook because the toy is just so much fun and it just works great as a vehicle and I get to replay the boss battle from the 8-bit game. By
0: weird, by weird choices, I imagine you're referring to the
3: split apart feature? The split apart feature is a complete like, non-existent uh, entity in my traverse. Duly ignored. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> In fact, if anything, it just serves to make the vehicle look cooler when it's been blown up. Because (laughs) that's about the only function I can find for it.
0: If I can recall, gentlemen, in episode 18, you both rallied quite hard for maintaining that feature. (laughs) Using it as a decoy. That uh, once the C-Ray has discharged all of its ordnance, that the sub drops away and the glider portion rockets around and basically, takes fire.
2: I stand by that. It's a good opinion.
3: Yeah, well, (laughs) the thing is, I mean, that that conversation was based on stats that we had, and, um, yeah, I also, I'm not going to roll back on myself, I'm going to stand by that too. Ignorance of
0: the the law is not a defense.
3: And... And lastly, I finally got myself a Thunder Machine, which is a vehicle I've wanted for a long time, ever since actually seeing it in Mark Bellamo's book. Many listeners will know I am a Dreadnought fan, and having one of the Dreadnoughts, very few actual vehicles that were molded for them specifically, so they're not necessarily repaints, it's really great to have something that's very Dreadnought in my collection. Also surprised at its size, but I have to say... It's a beautiful toy. It's got some really fantastic details and rubber wheels, sports car esque wheels, which are just stunning. You
0: say that Mark Bellamo's book is responsible for your Dreadnought Thunder Machine love.
3: It's one of them. That's bizarre,
0: man. Like, that first publication of The Ultimate Guide to G.I. Joe had some of the shoddiest photography.
3: No, I agree. But Photography it's, it's that got-
0: clearly doesn't show off exactly how cool the vehicle is. It's sort of a top-down, sometimes very out-of-focus image. And I don't yeah. think the Thunder Machine's image was particularly uh, clear or flattering yeah, in showing off what- how cool the vehicle actually is.
3: What it did do, though, is it introduced me to a vehicle I didn't know existed. That got me to dig into it a little bit more, look- looking at it up and... Also, subsequently, when I got the classic G.I. Joe graphic novels, there's a few issues that feature the Thunder Machine quite heavily, and that was cool to check as well. So, I'm
0: surprised your first Port of Call wasn't the animated series.
3: Yeah, that's actually why I like Thrasher so much, because of the animated series. <laughs> yeah, there's an episode where he sort of comes in, and he's going to be the new uh, recruit, and they all want to like sort of get him initiated, and he sort of outsmarts them. That and was the thought,
0: season opener, Arise, to Rise. the season right. 2 opener. Mm. It was either the first part or the second part.
3: And it's just so cool. And I was just like, yeah, Thrash is an awesome knock. And <laughs> I have to have that vehicle. And that, that also further cemented it. I mean, I think that kind of brought it full circle. I was like, hey, so this vehicle was kind of regarded. It wasn't just like, oh, you know, let's just pop out a vehicle for the Dreadnoughts. Here's something that's actually, you know, relative. So that was cool. So, yeah, those are my new toys. I'm very happy to have them.
0: Ah, so much vintage love.
3: But, Paul, you're overlooking
0: one sad story regarding uh, recent purchases, or recent purchases that didn't materialize. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: My birthday present... <laughs> Such a leading question. <laughs> My birthday present, which was to be a set of four figures from BBTS, which included the Blind Master, Jinx, uh, Lady J, and the Night Viper, oh. uh, Yeah, got lost in the post. BBTS has, as a result, given me a refund, but the problem is is that I couldn't use the refund to purchase the Joes again because they're not available in their store at the moment. They're sold out and they're back on pre-order. So that's a bit of a bummer. Mm. So maybe I will have to get my Night Vipers off BBTS when they get new stock or buy them off eBay. The only good thing I can say right now is that I'm earning dollars, so I can make some of my PayPal purchases a lot simpler than I could before. Maybe I might have two new Night Vipers in my life, which is going to spark further debate <laughs> on this podcast. But um, but for now, yeah, I really want it. And I am very, very bummed that it didn't happen. It happens. I'm not saying it's BBTS's fault. It happens. I think BBTS was uh, very good in how they dealt with it. The emailing and the back and forth was great uh, from them. There was one or two times where I think they were stalling us, trying to figure out what was going on. But all in all, BBTS did well. I I don't want to knock them. I think they did okay, considering the circumstances. I'm also in the market for a Tiger Force shipwreck, if anybody cares. (laughs) Out there. If you want to to sponsor Paul, a Tiger Force shipwreck, I will be very grateful. And we will make sure that we do a review of it in the G.I. Joe Berg video review section on YouTube.
1: Mm.
0: (laughs)
3: Speaking of video
0: reviews, we're, uh, I think, five videos deep. Uh, the most recent, of course, being the Cobra Bug. Gents, I assume you've taken a look at our handiwork. What are your like opinions? Like five times. Oh, five whole times. That's five hits for our channel. Amazing. <laughs>
3: yeah, but I mean, I've watched it like five times. I really enjoy that video. I especially love seeing my bug go into the brook. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. kind of goes, it bubbles into the river. <laughs>
0: Well, I'll have to know, I filmed that in, like, inner city Johannesburg, in a park. So, I don't know, man, that bug might be covered in toxic sludge, for all I know.
3: Well, I was <laughs> telling Rob, while we were getting ourselves psyched up for the show, I was just telling him I took my bug off the shelf and I actually opened it up.
1: <gasps> and
3: uh, I'm kind of sorry that we didn't do that for the, for the video review, because it has a wealth of detail underneath its turquoise hole. There's quite a lot of engine detail in that vehicle that you don't actually see. And I was just telling Rob, it's really stunning to have that there, to know that it's there. Even though you don't see it, it just adds a a certain quality to that vehicle. And it just gives it something more, something extra.
0: It gets back to my point about vintage GI Joe vehicles. The fact that they are model kits meant that each pressed individual plastic molded piece could have design embellishments put on it, because you would appreciate those elements as you're putting it together. When you're just handed a solid, completed block of a vehicle, no one's going to bother to make molded engine details. It's not going to ever be seen. It's not going to ever see the light of day. But in the case of the bug, yes, a lot of that stuff gets covered up and hidden, which is sad in one sense, but I'm so impressed and amazed that they... They firstly had the time and the budget to pay sculptors to do that, when ultimately it would never see daylight.
3: Another thing I have to mention as well is I loaded up my bug with um, a whole bunch of my vintage Cobras because I'm starting to actually build up quite the vintage collection. So pretty (laughs) much all of the vintage Cobras I own are in that vehicle. Um, So I've got Darklon in there, I've got an Iron Grenadier in there, I've got a Heat, I've got my Sea Slug in there. You know, there's a party in the Cobra Bug, in Paul's Cobra Bug at the moment. So and everybody's it's, it's, invited. And everybody's invited, y'all. The wackier
0: <laughs> yeah. the costume, the better.
3: Oh, and I also got a target in there. I love that my vintage uh, Cobra collection is all the colorful wacky dudes. Sea <laughs> so, Slug,
0: yeah. man. He definitely looks like he stepped out of, like, Flash Gordon. <laughs> yeah. Total, like, retro sci-fi schlock fantasy outfit.
3: The problem with that is now is that I realize how badly I need A, a Sector Viper, and B, a Hydro Viper. But
0: two Hydro Vipers in that back portion of the bug really look quite sweet. I'm sorry, Um, I didn't have them on hand when I shot the bug footage.
3: Yeah, I have to say, that's something I agree with. And also, I know that they're part of the Destro Cadre of troops, but I really love the Undertow. Thank you, because the name just escaped me. The Undertow. That is probably one of my favorite, like, Joe figures, which I actually mentioned in an earlier episode. I love how um, small the mask is. I think it's quite amazing for it to have a mask that's tiny and from its era. And it
0: only has one eye. <laughs> yes. It's but like, I love that. It's like Deadshot's costume. I mean, if anyone remembers <laughs> Deadshot from Batman, he was a villain who dressed in red and had a single eyepiece. Uh, He was actually around in that era, sort of late 80s, early 90s. That was his his get-up. That's and a sort of a mounted gun on his forearm. Anyway, we are digressing like something awful. (laughs) (laughs) Deadshot? What the hell? We're going to talk weird and wonderful, wacky G.I. Joe vehicles, or concepts for that matter. I mean, for every Pogo, which could never plausibly have any real-world counterpart, you get something like the Firebat, which clearly does. Drone technology is very much in vogue in modern militaries of the world.
3: Especially, no, definitely. And, and not just aerial drones either. Mm.
0: Land-based drones, the Pack Rats, most certainly have modern-day counterparts. And, you know, something as small as uh, Lightfoot's companion robot. I mean, I remember being in the States and having a bomb scare where I worked. The first thing you saw one of these little robots driving up to the suspicious article, uh, giving it a thorough inspection, while the, op- <laughs> while the operators and civilians stayed well back.
3: Even um, look at that robot giving that suspicious thing a thorough inspection!
0: With its probe.
3: <laughs> with its probe!
0: <laughs> its R2D2 plug.
2: <laughs> Sorry,
3: Rob, I totally st- trampled over you
2: there, bro. Sorry. No, no, it's fine. Even what Amazon now is what planning on employing drones to deliver packages within the United States. That's yeah,
0: terrifying. You have a knock on the door, you open it up, and take a look down, and R2-D2 standing in front of you. <laughs> well, <laughs> no.
2: They're flying drones, so they would, they would take the package, deliver it, to your door, drop it off, and just return to, you know, home base. As wow. long as they have a built-in
3: credit card machine. Um, <laughs> I have to say that that is something I would really love in a delivery drone, because the current delivery drones don't have credit card machines on them, so you have to do all this pre-transfer crap or make sure that you have cash on hand. And then, you know, they never have change, so they always score like a good 30 or 40 Rand, which translates to 2 or $3 American Hang on, for Paul, American you listeners.
0: never have cash on hand, buddy
3: exactly do you understand my dilemma so now how, it how do you more find yourself change
0: if you never have cash
3: this is why i track all my packages with tracking numbers so that i get a good idea because then i'm like okay it's in the country so then i go and draw money sort of work it out in my head how much money i have to draw so that i have it available for these guys when they oh, get man. you
0: third world kids dudes we're really living in a jungle <laughs> Getting back to our topic, the item that I'd like to expose as having uh, not so far-fetched a concept and actually having a few real-world counterparts is a personal favorite vehicle of mine that we have never once discussed on GI Joeberg, and I'm very excited, ladies and gentlemen, to finally enter this into evidence. It is the Skystorm X-Wing Chopper. Wop, 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 wop. Now, the SkyStorm X-Wing Chopper is premised as a hybrid helicopter slash jet. It has an action feature which extends its rotor blades for helicopter flight, and then by pushing the plunger down, the blades get sucked into the housing, and <laughs> we are led to believe that at this point the rotors stop turning and then it functions like a wing surface for horizontal jet flight. Now okay, why the hell would it do that? Well, the answer is very simple, my friends. Helicopters are very versatile aircraft. They can take off vertically, they can land vertically. They can take off vertically from a dirt strip. They can take off vertically from a small clearing. Uh, in amongst a jungle environment for instance, they can take off vertically from the deck of a boat. You know, you don't need a full aircraft carrier to accommodate a helicopter, you just need a little bit of deck space. So, helicopters obviously are extremely versatile, but that versatility comes at a cost. Of course, helicopters have slower speeds, they are therefore vulnerable to ground fire and other aircraft, they have a much shorter range than fixed-wing aircraft, and they actually require a lot more maintenance than fixed-wing aircraft. They're reliant on this gigantic rotor hub uh, spinning the whole time, and they clock up a lot more hours on the tachometer than uh, a jet aircraft would. I mean, jets are, are rather simple um, constructions by comparison, by comparison yeah. mm. relatively very simple. So, the X-Wing Skystorm jet helicopter was G.I. Joe's contribution to this, this concept, but would you believe it has got some real-world merit? In the 1960s and 70s, the idea of merging jets and helicopters, or at least aircraft and helicopters, started becoming very favourable. Now, this was in and around the time of, of when the limitations of the Harrier became evident. I mean, it is an extremely inefficient way of achieving a jet that can take off vertically and land vertically. It's a very specific purpose, but those jet nozzles use so much fuel and burn so hot that they can't land vertically on conventional runways. They would just melt the asphalt. Aircraft carriers are a different story because, I mean, it's largely just a steel deck, but you can't really take a Harrier off vertically on a runway you'll ruin your runway. And of course, Harriers are limited in terms of number of personnel. I mean, it's a vertical takeoff and landing attack craft, basically. But with a helicopter, you can expand it into troop functions, like the V-22 Osprey. So this is something that DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, have been quite interested in funding. Their first attempt at making this work, plausibly, was in the form of a helicopter that they modified called the Sikorsky S-72, which took the Sikorsky S-67's airframe, married it to the S-61's rotor housing and engine, and basically made a helicopter that had wings and, incidentally, ejection seats. It was the oh, first cool. helicopter to have that function, as the theory goes, blowing the rotors off, thanks to small charges placed in the rotor hub, blowing off your rotors and shooting your pilot and co-pilots up as a conventional ejection system would function.
2: Yeah, as it was shown in uh, GoldenEye. Again, Precisely. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, this airframe was actually tested as a conventional aircraft. They took a helicopter as an airframe, they stuck wings on it and put engines on those wings and that was able to fly. And that happened in the mid-1970s then they tried to go to the next step and that's stick a gigantic rotor on top of this uh in order to make the transition between helicopter flights and horizontal flights this X-wing i mean it's 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 ironic that it's the same uh name as the skystorm but it was called an X-wing because obviously it was four blades uh they stuck it on the top And they actually produced this modified airframe with the X-Wing stuck on top in 1986, but it never flew. They never got it off the ground. The whole thing was cancelled in 1988, which is exactly when we got the Skystorm X-Wing chopper. Coincidence?
3: I I don't think so. No.
0: G.I. Joe was taking a concept that was close to extinction, and just like G.I. Joe does, leaping off the pages of science fact making something science fiction and in that sense we are thankful for the X-Wing Skystorm Chopper which is a firm favorite of mine but I can never quite wrap my head around the way it functions DARPA is still trying to get this project to work I mean they have recently as recently as this year they've asked for bids for a what they call a hybrid rotor wing craft. And this is coming off the back of several failures. For instance, in 2006, there was a similar project titled the Boeing Dragonfly X-30. And, I mean, it's just so funny that it's got the name of two other GI Joe aircrafts built into its title, that Mm -hmm. being the Dragonfly and the X-30, which is the designation for the conquest. Now, this was a drone aircraft which was roughly the same size as the Skystorm X-Wing, but it had two blades instead of four. And actually, if you can imagine a helicopter, it achieves horizontal flights by pitching the blades forward and, and therefore moving forward through the air. If the blades pitch backwards... If the rotor hub, I mean, tilts backwards, the helicopter moves backwards. If the rotor hub tilts forward, it moves forward. If it tilts to the left, the helicopter moves to the left. If it tilts to the right, the helicopter moves to the right. I mean, that's the basic premise behind how a helicopter moves through the air. With the X-30, the jet engine's airflow was actually redirected through into the rotors, and they fired off microjets of compressed air, which would have to time <laughs> with which direction the blade was in its spin uh, and that, that air would actually send it forward or backwards or left or right, which seems wow. extremely complex and, and convoluted but it's quite possible that the Skystorm X-Wing chopper, at least in my mind, functions a lot like that because no, that I, don't, sense, I yeah. don't particularly see how these blades would be able to tilt forward, back, left or right simply because they would smash the cockpit to pieces (laughs) if there was any tilt. I mean, just like the Fang, the pilot is very low-slung under the the blades. I mean, the blades are chopping right above the guy's head. Anyway, flash forward to 2006, and DARPA withdrew their funding from the Boeing Dragonfly X-30 because both test models crashed. They failed to do what they set out to do, and that's... Transition from helicopter flight into fixed wing horizontal flight. I mean, they were both flaming wrecks by the time DARPA withdrew their funding, so no fun there. DARPA still is trying to get this concept off the ground, as it were, or from <laughs> helicopter to jet or plane, as it were. And it's been picked up by, firstly, the Naval Research Laboratory in Washington, D.C., who've actually patented their system and have stated that they can make a transition between one and two seconds from helicopter flights to fixed-wing flights and only lose 50 feet in altitude. Wow. But unfortunately, the last entry on their website spoke of proposed testing happening in spring 2012, and no further information is available. (laughs) So either they're also sitting with flaming wrecks or they're onto something so secret that we can't know about it. Yeah. Another bid for DARPA's money came in the form of an Australian contractor called Stop Rotor Technology. You can check out their website in fact at stoprotor.com.au where they've got a few clips demonstrating how a virtual model would actually achieve the transition from helicopter flights to stopped rotor flights. And it seems that in August of this year, they have had successful tests with the scaled-down model, so we might actually see this happening (laughs) very soon. But to just put it in a nutshell, the way the model functioned is that it took off like an aircraft, pitched up to gain altitude, then leveled out. It would begin to fall, the helicopter blade would unlock. The airflow would start the helicopter blade spinning, the engine would engage at that point, and continue to spin spin the helicopter blade until it effectively flew and stopped falling.
2: <laughs> so, so what, they, they basically put it into a stall.
0: Yes. That's a rather terrifying prospect for a pilot, I imagine. If you ask me, it's the reverse that is the real trick, to go from helicopter flight, which is the most utilitarian way of taking off, to then go into horizontal fixed wing flight. Bearing in mind, Stop Rotor Technologies' hybrid rotor wing design only had a single helicopter blade. It wasn't a four blade design. It's fascinating that that they're still persisting in this design of vehicle, this mode of transforming vehicle technology. And I'm quite excited to see if it actually will ever realistically function. But just a little personal plug. Uh, I don't seem to find these images anywhere else online. So I'm going to have to refer you back to my blog. But if you check out a real South arealsouthafricanhero.blogspot.com and you go into the archives as far back as March 2012, I have a Skystorm X-Wing Chopper article. Which concludes with some pretty impressive images of a stopped rotor, fixed wing, slash helicopter hybrid aircraft. And there are a handful of them that are dead ringers for the Skystorm X-Wing chopper. So it's very apparent where the inspiration for this, for this aircraft comes from. And as I say, it's a personal favorite of mine. There are a few things that bug me about it. For instance, I'm not entirely in love with the laser cannons slash 9mm machine guns mounted on the nose cone. I think that really hurts the, the streamlined nature of the aircraft. And I don't love the action feature. I don't love having this gigantic radome poking out of the top when it's in helicopter mode and then having to plunger that down and therefore shorten your wingspan, essentially, when the blades retract into the housing. I would just leave the retraction out altogether. Just have them in fully extended mode and have no sticky-outy radome plunger thing.
3: That's always um, been the thing that's put me off that helicopter. Like, I've always liked everything about it, but that plunger, that I, my, my brain just can't get around it.
0: Also, the wings are weird to me. I mean, the wing surface itself is, is a strange thing to wrap your head around. I mean, you've got essentially four wings, two swept back, two swept forward, but all of them mounted on the top of the aircraft. I think the most attractive solution would be to have something similar to Miles Mayhem's Venom aircraft from Mask Mobile Assault Strike Command which folded its blades away in, into the aircraft and became a jet. Get rid of the rotors altogether.
3: Yeah, it jettisons them. Uh, no, not,
0: not them jettisons off. them. Yeah. No, 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 not jettisons them. Folds yes. them back and then recesses them into the craft. That, oh,
3: yes, yeah, sorry, that. Yes, yeah.
0: But hey, that would have taken a little bit more uh, design and engineering than the toy we got. And I'm grateful we got it. It's not everyone's favorite, but it is mine. <laughs> And that's saying a lot. I have a lot of favourites, but this helicopter is the most fun thing <laughs> that I have cruising around my G.I. Joe Universe airspace.
3: Cool. Robbo, I'm very curious to hear what yours is, dude.
2: The one that that I chose, I mean, that I always found interesting was the was the Buzz Ball. Because I I think I've always wanted to own one, because it always looked cool, and um, when Steve and I, had, at a time when we kind of did like online sort of, not really role-playing, it was almost like email sort of role-playing where you kind of wrote text and then other members wrote text and you kind of advanced the story in that way. I used the BuzzBorn one story and I thought that was quite cool.
0: I think the term used to be free-form text-based role-play. Yeah. I don't know if it's something that still exists these days, maybe, I mean, I imagine it still has its niche, but it was remarkable, I mean... In the kind of late 90s, early noughties, people would just email one another yeah, basically. Yeah, email
2: was sort of like forum based.
0: <laughs> man, oh man. Yeah, no, there were some very strange, disparate threads. The idea of like smashing everyone's concept of G.I. Joe into one text based story was daft. <laughs> some, <laughs> some people. Wanted to tackle purely the romantic interests of characters.
3: As is always the fucking case, sorry.
0: Some people just wanted to have all out mayhem and destruction, which I was in favor with. Some people wanted to flesh out characters and just write very character driven stories. It was always an interesting smash up of, like, you know, different views. Perhaps we should address that in an episode at one stage.
2: I think that'd be cool to go back and, and look at that. Um, I'm
0: interested to know how much of the G.I. Joe community was ever involved in something like this. I'm looking forward to doing some research now. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> Rob, the buzz ball.
2: Yeah, the buzzball. I mean, it, it seems like a completely ridiculous concept. At least to me it's always been. That they essentially dig through the ground and eventually they come up somewhere else and then they attack you. It seems... Also, it's a one-man thing and it's not very well-equipped. I mean, it's just two little missiles and sort of like a... Well, it has a dual fifty cal repeating machine gun, which is nice. But just trying to wrap my head around how did they navigate under the ground, how did they know where to come up, it's always sort of been very weird. I mean, as real-world counterparts, I couldn't find anything that sort of matches it.
0: Earth-boring machines always make an appearance in sort of sci-fi pop culture.
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely.
0: They had something similar in Rise of Cobra, for instance, those mole pods, mole pods that buried into the pit. I mean, there's a tangible use for it if your target is underground. Oh, but Crane called and he wants these uh, you know, mole pods back. <laughs> yeah, returned to the Technodrome.
2: Yeah, there have been many other ways of doing it, You know, many drills, and that is really the only counterpart I could find in real life, was sort of tunnel boring <laughs> machines. I don't imagine Um,
0: they navigate. It's like you program it to hit this depth and this kind of lateral deviation.
2: Yeah, you you pre-program your route, and then it just does it. And then you come up, and then you start firing Hmm. when you get to the other end. So, real-world counterparts are basically the gigantic tunnel boring machines, which is often what they use, like when they use to to make the uh, the tunnel between England and France and stuff like that. But those things are gigantic. It's not something that you can do. To use on a mission you know within within a couple of hours to get somewhere um so there's those gigantic ones um but then you also get micro tunneling which is much smaller ones which are able to do sort of up to almost two meter round holes and they kind of drill along so there's kind of like super scale or like tiny scale there's no like something that's really can hold a man and bring him somewhere efficiently Um, And the other problem I discovered is that often with tunnel boring machines they have to be calibrated All of the heads that they are are given is calibrated to the the type of soil that they're going to be going through. If you're going to go through hard rock you have to have a certain head. If you're going to go through fairly soft soil you have to have another type of head. So to be able to get through multiple types of geology is exceptionally difficult. You'd have to basically map out what layers of ground you're going to go through. You have to do testing. It's, it's an exceptionally involved process.
0: Well, it's a good thing and Cobra stocks unobtainium, <laughs> which is just, you know, the best alloy you could possibly have to burrow through anything.
2: I know, yeah, it's
3: unobtainium. You know,
2: but definitely, I mean, in, in, in the real world, they have to be customized to the type of soil that they're going to go through. And you'd have to change it depending, or you have to set the entire thing up beforehand. It's not a very practical thing in real life. But as a as a sci fi concept it's really cool to think about. And as you said, Stephen, they've been doing this for years. But the look of it is nice. It looks like this. But it doesn't look like, like a weird mole type thing that digs through the ground with the with the blade in front.
3: I always imagine Kobo rocking up with like two or three big helicopters and like two of these things coming out of every helicopter and they sort of like drop them down at like a low altitude and they just sort of buzz through like camps and stuff like that, and just completely cause chaos and destruction by just ramming through things, you know, not even really using their guns, just buzzing through stuff, excuse the pun, and that's like I see them, you know, it's kind of being like an opening, uh, an opening you know, they just come in and they just buzz and destroy everything, and then, you know, you hear the faint screams of Attack, and then they all come in and do the damage, you know,
2: Although now that I'm thinking about it, there was a nice example of it, or something similar, was used in the um, the battleship form.
0: Oh yes, yeah. those gigantic uh, sort of spheres that, that just buzz through. Oh, yeah, they had like boring teeth,
2: and yeah, it just exactly,
0: completely cut a swath of destruction.
2: Yeah, which just kind of matches up with what Paul was saying. I mean, this, the concept of it coming in and ripping through stuff is almost like the initial solver, like you. It's a
0: very aggressive bowling ball.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um. With teeth and
0: guns and missiles on it.
2: Exactly. (laughs) I always find
0: it problematic that you've got these guns kind of not exactly recessed or anything. It's just on the side of this disc. The disc has the cutting teeth that gets through the the soil and it's Mm -hmm. dragging missiles and guns. I mean, those guns are going to get clogged up hopelessly before they've ever had a chance to be used. Mm -hmm. I guess akin to the video game, you're gonna to have to like have a sphere of protection so you circling your your buzz ball <laughs> to do any damage to the enemy.
3: Rob, just to add to your buzzball, I mean, I know that you you tackled it from a an earth drilling equipment point of view, but I um, mean, if you do some research and you look online, you'll actually find that there's a lot of guys, a lot of hobbyists that are working on one-wheeled motorbikes, and you see them in a, in the fantasy realm in in certain animes. I think Vampire Hunter D has one, but there's another anime, I can't think of the name right now, but the actual whole vehicle is a wheel, and then the rider sits inside that wheel. I think um, Steam Steam Boy has a concept like that, and some guys have actually tried to emulate that, and I, I remember actually seeing it as like a funny link, but I think some guys have actually managed to get it to work. I mean, like a prototype, it doesn't go very fast. I think it goes 30 kilometers an hour. So from that point of view there is a, a realistic um, approach to something like the buzz ball, which I would imagine would work more so than the way that it actually pilots. <laughs> when you're sort of sitting down, I see it more motorbike-esque. Are you talking uh, about yeah.
0: Spiral Zone?
3: Spiral Zone, Spiral Zone. Why does that sound familiar? What is Spiral Zone again? Isn't that a cartoon?
0: It's a cartoon from 87. Yeah, I'm just looking at it now. <laughs> Vehicles. Yeah, okay. In Spiral Zone... The zone riders are deployed around the world from a mountain base called Mission Command Central or MCC. Dirk Courage <laughs> rides the oh dear Rimfire. <laughs> a mono no, vehicle. Burn. A mono-wheel vehicle equipped with a large cannon on top. The other zone riders ride armored combat monocycles and wear special backpacks. So mm. you had a whole cartoon dedicated to these designs. Maybe yeah. the Buzz Ball, yeah. because it's from 87, I don't think Spiral Zone, the cartoon, had a direct influence on the Buzz Ball, but whatever was influencing the vehicle designs in Spiral Zone is probably what was influencing the vehicle design of the Buzz Ball, this wheel yeah, design. <laughs> mm. It's quite an appealing concept, I mean it's certainly unique. It's not the most efficient way of achieving its goal because I must say the mole pod kind of drill bit in the front seems like a far more plausible way of getting the job done. Mm. But the fact that it's got these teeth make it able to do both. I mean, perhaps it can adequately like tumble along the ground, overland, instead of always burrowing under. But how would you regulate that? How would the machine dictate whether it... Descended or ascended or stayed on the level. Yeah.
3: yeah. Too many questions, not enough answers. Yeah. <laughs> just coming back to something you said earlier as well, you were referencing Battleship. That concept, I think, is very much taken from Gundam. Um, in the Gundam movie, Gundam F91, there's an enemy force that uses a weapon very much like that, and they sort of unleash it on the population, and it um, just cuts people and buildings and everything in half. A bit of a, like a terrorist movement. Those of you listeners who watch Gundam or have watched F ninety one know what I'm talking about. When I saw that in Battleship I immediately thought of F ninety one and then actually by extension the Buzzball. A lot of kids thought of the buzzball as like a flying thing, maybe. <laughs> as well, for what we know. <laughs> With but a i name think like
0: I'll... Buzzball, how could they not? <laughs> but I mean like
3: <laughs> I think for me what rings true about the buzzball is I'll always relate it to the video game because that is where I saw it first. And I didn't even know it was a real G.I. Joe vehicle until much later. When friends of mine that are older than I am, she recognized it and were like, oh yeah, I had one of those as a kid. I'll always think of the Buzzball as like a buzz motorbike vehicle that can climb walls and cling to roofs. I don't see it as a burrowing into the ground vehicle. and Maybe that's the limit of my imagination, but I kind of like it being on the land. Yeah, I think it
2: makes more sense. It's like it's just a weird motorbike in a
0: way. My first encounter with the Buzzball was obviously through the video game. I mean, I'd never seen the toy, and this was way before the internet, so I anticipated that the BuzzBall would actually just have suction cups on its outer ring, and not boring teeth, but, you know.
2: Uh, So it could climb buildings and
0: stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's the impression you get in the video game. Just for your enlightenment, Rob, and perhaps any of the listeners who have not played the Taxan video game from, uh, I think it was 1990, the BuzzBore, it's a vehicle that you encounter as you're progressing through the levels and you can actually climb into it and use it. It can roll forward, it can roll up vertical surfaces and it can roll along roofs, stuck to the ceiling as it were. So, you know, it's easy to see. Why I had that misconception that the toy would have suction cups on it. And suction cups, hey, who who doesn't like suction cups? And little dart guns that fired suction cup
3: missiles. <laughs> and it comes with its own theme tune.
0: Do 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 do, do, do. No? That was
3: do. <laughs> whatever, that's General Hawk's theme. There we go. Well just we'll throw in an audio cue in the episode, why not?
0: Yeah, boom. There it is. Uh.
3: <laughs> Paulie,
0: have you got something weird, wonderful, wacky, and based in reality? Most
3: importantly. I do. I do. The vehicle I'm going to feature is something we've mentioned earlier in the show today. It's the Cobra Bug. I know you're all thinking, oh, it makes the Cobra Bug really interesting. And this is based on conversations I've had with Steve, with a little bit of Rob's involvement in places. But the Cobra Bug is... It can be looked at in two different ways. In one way, it can be looked at as it has tons of weapons and patrols the coastlines of Cobra Island, and it's sort of you know it's amphibious. It's it's got a dual purpose. On the other hand, it can be seen as a APC that is also submersible. So I formed my research around um, submersible tanks because I figured that would be the closest way I could find some plausible you know reference. Um, and I did it in the form of the AAV7 the Submersible Amphibious Assault Vehicles, it's the SAAVS, okay, this is actually a real weapon, I don't know what it's um, pet name is, but I can tell you what my pet name for it is, that pet name is the Warthog, because this is amazingly similar, Um, uh, there's very few details that set them apart, Uh, the main one being that the real one doesn't have two big yellow missiles on its back, okay, and the side doors don't open, but it is an APC, It is amphibious, it does travel above water and this is where it gets interesting. The military is very fond of this kind of technology because firstly, traveling on water, it's very difficult to hide yourself. So generally on water you have to be pretty quick, but the thing is you have to get boots on the ground, you know how it is. And the trick there is, well, you don't want everybody to die. So. You know, they employ these APCs, and in the past, they've used different approaches, hovercrafts, maybe dropping guys off, full-on boats uh, with treads, you know, very much like what has been seen in films like Saving Private Ryan. So, there's always been a need for this in the military. So, they invented this um, system whereby the, the vehicle can actually travel slightly faster being underwater because it doesn't have the drag um, that is created by waves and ripples and things like that, and it's only really a fair difference. But it's essentially still driving at the bottom of the water level. This is great because it increases its stealth profile. You don't see it coming until, bam, it pops up onto your body and starts shooting up your fellow terrorists. So that kind of technology does exist, and the need for it does exist so submarine or truck or tank like the bug is really plausible the bug itself is kind of in that it's got some weird shapes going for it it's got a lot of bubbly glassy turrets so things that are not necessarily armored which lends itself well to being submersible. so we see that a lot in modern-day submarines especially seen in submarines that are used for exploration projects much like the ones used to survey underwater wrecks they have these really big bubble-shaped canopies in the front of the vehicle and it's cool to see all of these things coming into the bug. And I imagine a lot of the bug's original design features, and we mentioned this in our video review, come from those old exploration subs that were being prototyped and used in the 80s because of the bug's front. We've spoken earlier in this show about drones and UAVs. I know that um, Titanic, film Titanic, uh, they used a lot of unmanned submarines to do some of the cinematography. I would like to call them flyby shots, but they're not really flyby shots if they're underwater of the Titanic's wreck. So something like that pod that is on the bug is fairly plausible in real life. I mean, obviously uh, certain pressure concerns would um, limit the bug's movement. I will limit the bug's pod movement; it wouldn't be able to reach major depths. I think it serves really well to ensure that, you know, there aren't giant sharks or you know depth charges or something ahead of the main. Vehicle so that the main body of the vehicle can sort of hide itself there. And Steve will probably, like, jump in with me on this one. It serves as a <laughs> I good love
0: how you always predict how I'm going to react, Paul. Oh, this is just My based on previous obvious. conversations.
3: That's how I know. You see, that's, that's why I can come across as Paul the Mystic. <laughs>
1: Gee,
3: clairvoyance. <laughs> the only thing I can't figure out with the bug, and I leave this to you... Hang on, hang on. you
0: totally... Like chalking me up as as a responsible contributor to this theory of yours, you say that the the detachable scout sub is used as a as a as a probe
3: it could be used as a probe,
0: but it's manned
3: yes, no, no it is manned, but it could also be used uh, I would imagine it could be used unmanned I mean it could be controlled i mean you've got two guys in the bug in the the cockpit, the driving area, so You only need one guide to drive that bad boy. Those exploration submarines, those cute bubbly yellow and orange submarines, they also generally only need one guide to drive it. What is quite cool to see is in the actual bug itself, the controls and the little details for the controls, especially in the main cockpit, they sort of lend themselves well. They look very similar to what a lot of those little submarines had, which is quite cool. But let's get to the cool hot topic of the bug. (laughs) Shooting underwater, okay, that is something where the bug would be the most effective. The idea behind it is that these things can hide uh, in the coastlines under the water and sort of attack vehicles under the water, like maybe small Joe submarines, A.K.A. something like the Shark or GI Joe landing craft, possibly things like the Warthog. These things would be quite susceptible to the bug's wrath, and this is very assisted by modern military as well. Since the early 90s and 80s, they've been trying to perfect underwater weaponry not just torpedoes but uh, more like artillery style weaponry Uh, the technology has slowly built itself up and this is something that cobra has a lot of Uh, i can't remember the caliber but the it's totally plausible that those guns could exist and shoot underwater and be effective for up to between 40 and 80 meters underwater actually which is quite amazing um yeah
0: would they then have application above water
3: um, they could. I mean, the thing is, the difference is, is that instead of them shooting, like, with a normal gun, where a normal gun uses gas and gunpowder to to eject the lead, the, the killing part of the, of the bullet. <laughs> the, um, bullet. The, the bullet. The bullet. The projectile. The, the,
1: the,
3: the projectile, for lack of better terms. The projectile is actually changed into a type of a needle. It's actually kind of a thickish needle. If you imagine an a HB pencil, or for the Americans, a number two pencil, and you cut that in half, they kind of needles like they them like as if it was a machine gun in the water. And the thing is, those are designed to go through the water and they use gas, I think it is, to push them through. And they can do quite a lot of damage. They actually have got armor-piercing capability. So something like a a warthog would definitely take some serious distraction um, or even if if troops like, you know, maybe Deep Six and the boys, they could get torn to shreds on the water by these kind of guns. And that's actually quite frightening if you think about it because it makes the bug quite scary as an underwater weapon. So that's something to consider, and it's actually something I didn't know existed until I actually decided to do some research on this. Because I've always thought, hey, it's a bug, it can go in the water, it can probably shoot underwater. Those things are probably lasers anyway, you know?
0: <laughs> lasers what? being fired underwater. Well, I suppose it could happen. I mean, that much heat would burn right through the water anyway.
3: Exactly. So, I mean, if we had to look at those guns on the bug as actual machine guns and not necessarily lasers, the plausibility is there. I envision a scene
0: playing out at the bottom of the ocean deep six torpedo and wetsuit of working perilously to retrieve the black boxes out of a downed experimental aircraft all of a sudden they feel blinding lights behind them, and it 's a cobra bug training its guns on them there we go, and that's these that's automatic tricky. needles. Seven inches of death.
1: Death <laughs> starts <laughs>
0: spitting out of the bug's armament. I mean, that always bugged me huh, about the bug. Its primary argument, or uh,
2: <laughs> an primary over- armament.
0: Thank you, is an overwhelming amount of machine guns or laser guns, depending on what canon you subscribe to. And of course, machine guns are completely well useless underwater you don't need to watch mythbusters to know that
3: there is a game called call of duty which i'm sure many of the listeners will know about and are probably fans of or play the game i'm not a big fan of but i do find that the game does quite a lot to entertain players by new and interesting features one of those features in the last call of duty was having underwater battles and in that game call of duty tries its best to root itself in realism in the form of having a gun that shoots underwater, a personnel firearm that shoots underwater. This gun does exist, obviously, and it's not just in prototype forms. Apparently, many militaries of the world actually have these weapons, and it gives a lot more credence to characters like Deep Six and Wetsuit and the Eels, who have these really oddly shaped underwater firearms, which can now, instead of being laser guns could actually be considered as these automated dart launching weapons, which Hmm. can make for…
0: Particularly, Deep Six has a fascinating looking weapon, it's even got a scope on it, and it's got what looks like a port that would eject a cartridge, I don't know, I might be reading into it wrong, but if that is the case, then that bit of sculpting detail must be incorrect. Unless well, Deep Six's gun is designed to just be a waterproof gun that is uh, usable only on land.
3: Yeah, I thought so too, but I think what happens is if the listeners take a chance to go and check out Wikipedia or you go and search it on Google, uh, you will find Wikipedia will provide you a link. I think some military websites also have it, where they actually show you the gun and it has actually got a cartridge. It does actually use a bottom fed cartridge, and I think one of the them is designed to carry the ammo, and the other part of their cartridge is used to keep compressed gas, which helps to launch the projectile out of the firearm.
0: But the projectiles themselves don't have casings.
3: No, they don't. They it's, they shot out, yeah. It's caseless so,
0: ammunition. A string of needles.
3: There we go. Like I said earlier, it's great to imagine these, in the scenarios with the Joes, and I always enjoy removing lasers out of the equation of G.I. Joe. I think it's because as I've gotten older, and, and maybe when I was younger, I just always liked the idea of bullets pelting something as opposed to laser beams. Uh, as I've gotten older and I've gotten more aware of things like the XLMR, I've grown a fondness for the unique qualities of a laser weapon as opposed to everything being a laser weapon. Mm. It's kind of cool that the XLMR is a laser gun and it's exclusively a laser gun. It's nice to have some guys like Wetsuit actually having machine guns. I also watched a few YouTube videos, Um, there's a team of British guys, they do these sort of mythbuster esque tests, and uh, what is quite cool there is that they actually fired some handguns, some normal handguns underwater. Obviously the effectiveness of the projectile is reduced greatly, I think the projectile only travels 10 to 20 meters and by the time it's hit 20 meters it's not effective when being shot from underwater. These were well-known guns like the Glock, there was a revolver used in the test, and an automatic rifle, the name of which eludes me right now, but it's not really that important. Because I'm they're... really
0: impressed that it fired that far, 10 to 20 meters. Even if the bullet is not effective at all at that range, the fact that it's reaching that kind of range astounds me. Wow. Yeah. How the hell does that work? I'm well, very curious to fire a Glock underwater now. <laughs> Anyone well, want it... to lend me their firearm?
3: <laughs> what is quite cool is that the footage on that video is shot in HD and they obviously slow things down so you can see the explosions and everything that happens with the bullet which is always interesting to see I don't know if they brought it up or if somebody in the comments, if they had a link that I read but one of the main things is not so much the gun that is the problem, it is mostly the ammunition, if the ammunition is catered for underwater use which obviously has been supplanted by darts in the sort of well-known underwater firing prototypes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also interesting, just to mention, is that guns are being made that can shoot in zero gravity. I mean, it's kind of like a duh. You know, you give anything force in space and it goes forward, but the problem has always been the firing mechanism. And also in Call of Duty, there is a section that you are in a little space suit in space, and the only thing that makes me want to play that game is that whenever I see that, I think of Joe's, like, I think of payload and... You know, the boys on the conquest, fighting Cobra in space and the defiant really exists for that kind of thing and it's on the laser. So that kind of makes me happy. So I just wanted to close off with that. Nice, buddy. Oh, well, underwater
0: guns finally will solve the mystery that is the Barracuda. <laughs> it's got a gun. A double barreled gun. On its underside. Yeah. <laughs> That thing can only be used to shoot underwater. Totally. Because that is not a flying submarine by any stretch of the
3: imagination. That is a submarine submarine. Damn right. And you know what? Awesome. Because Cobra has the AGP. Cobra has trouble bubbles. Cobra has the sea ray. It's got enough stuff that can go and float around and be pod-like and shoot. You know what I mean? It's cool that the bug is actually exclusively a submarine in regards to the pod. I've had quite a lot of um, fun with my bug lately because of it. Yeah, I've been embracing my my bug and my sea ray. I've been doing missions. No, I just need some GI Joe submersibles.
0: <laughs> well, the bug and the sea ray were very much complementary to one another. I mean, if you think about it, the bug has all the machine guns, the sea ray has two. Fair enough, but it's got what we are led to believe are air-to-surface weapons. I mean, all the missiles on its body are billed as air-to-surface missiles. So the Sea rays modus operandi is always to take off and f- breathe fire onto targets from above. Well, and the bug's approach is to sneak up and attack from below. So okay. this two-pronged approach makes for a very devastating tactic,
3: I'd say. One of the features, sorry, because I, I know we're not really reviewing the bug because we've done that, but something I really love in the bug is that it's got a lot of um, holes in it, so to speak, in the design of the, some of the mesh and things like that, and it's, I always imagine that as some kind of water-draining feature, expe- especially for the rear part of the craft, <laughs> so I like to think of it as like a dry dock, or oh, not a dry dock, a, um, I want to say airlock, but it's not really an airlock, I just kind of see it as a good way to get divers out, <laughs> and then it drains the water, but I don't know if it can re-equalize itself, you know, my imagination says that, hey, why not, that can be left to to our imaginations.
2: Surrender to the new order of Cobra starting at noon tomorrow, or suffer
0: my wrath. This has been episode 29 of G.I. Joeberg, where we discussed three concepts that G.I. Joburg has that are weird and wacky and wonderful, but actually have some real-world application. Hope you've enjoyed the episode. This is Stephen, signing off.
2: Rob, Rob saying goodbye and goodnight, or good morning, wherever you are goodbye everybody <laughs> that was
3: cool <laughs> <laughs>